Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Evening Jumps. We had vacation last week. That was cool. Uh, we uh, don't go back to doing the TV show until what is tomorrow as we record this. It'll be Thursday. Then we go back to the TV show. So I was kind of around today uh, handling some things. Um, and so, okay. I hate tasks. Like, if you talk to anybody who knows me, I hate tasks. You talk to people who work with me. I'm actually pretty easy to work with because I'm not that demanding about a lot of things. In large part because being demanding typically requires doing tasks. I don't like tasks. So, like, you know, I don't keep a dirty crib. But like it can be a junky crib and, you know, and I just don't like tasks. So when I moved to Miami, I started I finally like rationalized to myself hiring somebody to clean the spot, you know, because I ain't going to lie, man. It it feels kind of imperial. You know what I mean? Like, I just I just don't you know, somebody like gave me some explanation about like. Yeah, like contributing to the, you know, the economy, putting a little money in people's pockets, you know, and I that that's something I can get behind, right? That makes me feel so yeah, like I started having somebody come clean the crib when I was in Miami. And then I never got around to getting somebody here in New York, you know, because I don't like to be here when they do that. It makes me feel horribly uncomfortable. Just like to watch somebody do that. I'll feel compelled to get up and help but I hate doing tasks, you know? So, um, and the other part, like you got to kind of get your crib straight. Like you got to get your crib straight to a baseline level before the person comes. And, um, you also, like, I kind of feel like need to be here, right? Like you need to be here at least once to like talk about, you know, how much you're going to charge. And on top of that, you kind of need to be here one time, you know, like not like they're going to steal in your face, you know, but you know what I mean? Like somebody up in your crib, you know, like it's those kinds of things. But anyway, my brother has somebody that he employs to clean his crib. And so I'm like, cool, this has already been vetted. You know, like um, Dan's mother helped me find a woman to clean the house in Miami. And so she ain't going to steal from me. Because if she's still for me and I go tell damn mama, her whole situation get messed up. You know, so like, cool, I can leave her alone in my crib. And I feel, you know, I like, but I can never like really make the time to make that happen. So I finally got all the stuff worked out. Like while I was gone, my brother brought her up to like check spot out, you know, and do all that. And so today um, I had the house clean. And I had a fascinating observation while having the house clean. Like, I remember the first time that I cut a check to pay rent. And I admit, I felt very adult when I did that. You know, I think I was like 21. And, like, I very much so felt like an adult, like spending my money that I'd worked for and writing that rent check. Now, I, I, I got over that shit really fast. You know, like that level of pride that came from paying bills is long gone. 
long gone. I there's I have no pride in that. Like I don't I ain't I don't know the last time I felt good about paying a bill. Like that's not what it is. Sometimes I felt good about like paying for something and what I was getting back I felt good about, but the actual act of paying, like I'm telling you, if they had given it to me for free, it would have felt even better. You know? Like I'm not getting that. So anyway Nothing about like cleaning my own house ever made me feel proud. You know, like you take one of those like full days and you're like, you know what? I'm just going to do all this stuff. And like you clean your closet, like you get deep into bathrooms, you know, you do what you do it all. You dig. Um, you know, um, it don't make you feel grown. And I think in part, it don't make you feel grown because. Like, these are things that were your job when you were a child. You know what I mean? Like, like cleaning up the house and stuff like that. Like, I honestly feel like at my age, cleaning up the house is simply a reminder that I don't have children. Because they should be the ones that's around here keeping this place tidy. You know, learning life lessons via manual labor. <laughs> like, like, that, like that's, that's how the house is supposed to be cleaned. I'm supposed to be clean every day when I come home for work. You know why I'm supposed to be clean every day when I come home for work? Because them kids supposed to have that house clean before I get home from work. You know, like that's 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 what it's supposed to be. But I'm responsible for that. So yeah, I never felt like a grown up like cleaning the house. But let me tell you something. I left out of here this morning to go do some stuff. I left that money on the counter. I went out. Had lunch, went and got a shape up, went to watch some soccer, went to the chiropractor. I walked back in this crib. I smelled cleaning products and mad. I felt like a grown up. I felt like such a grown up. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that was some first class adulting right there. Putting that money on the counter, leaving, coming back and getting a clean house. That's what a grown-up does. At least a grown-up that ain't got no kids. Because once again, y'all don't have to do that because y'all put them little jokers to work. That's right. Yeah, dog. I walked back in here. This place ain't felt this good since I moved in. Man, this is stupendous. I'm looking at the floor. I'm like, damn, I ain't going to lie. I might not even know it was this color. Because it's a whole lot of, like, it takes a lot of effort to sweep this floor, man. You got to be in shape. Anyway, just thought I'd bring that up. Let us uh, move on to your questions. Did you have a good break? Did you just visit Portugal? Did you travel around Europe a little? You know, this is an interesting question. I mentioned on the podcast, on the Right Time podcast, that I had gone to Portugal. Um, I, like, really, by and large, disconnected from everything on that trip, like in a way that I don't recall doing. And I think I had like a few thoughts about why it is that it uh, went that way. I think part of it was I've kind of had some circumstances and things that come up that are like, yo, man, um, this ain't like it was, you know, in terms of kind of like public disclosure of life. Like it's a little different. 
like if you were to rewind this even like four years ago, um, I think I was a lot more like giving of what I was up to. Um, and I was getting down and I've kind of fallen back on a whole bunch of that. And so it was kind of wild because, yeah, I went to Portugal and like I mentioned that briefly and I was like, oh, shit, I forgot. I didn't even mention the fact I went to Portugal. But yeah, I'll tell you this. I did go to Portugal. I went to uh, Spain for a couple of days uh, while I was in after I was in Portugal. And then I went back to Portugal and uh, then I came back here. Like somebody said, "Uh oh, on Portugal. Nah, man, like this is what you got to think about. And this is part of the reason why I went to Portugal. It's like a six to seven hour flight from New York to Lisbon. It's a six, like six to six and a half hour flight from New York to Los Angeles. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's legit the same flight. So I was like, yo, you know, might as well go check out and see what's going on. And I went to, uh, like, I went to a, I, I legitimately, flew like i flew into a place that i had never heard of before a couple of like days before i bought the ticket which was like a week before i made the trip yeah like i mean i'd never done that i was just like okay yeah let me see what it is like i thought about it i was like yeah they probably got some like beach action or whatever it is over that way let me do that and so i went to some little uh kind of i I I don't know what the right word is. I went in the middle of nowhere. It feels a little bit unfair, but it was kind of middle of nowhere-ish. Um, where I was, a nice little resort set up they had out there, and I just kind of went and posted up uh, on the beach. And they beach, like, just in terms of, like, geology, they beach is cracking. Like, it was dope, man. Like, I really kind of I enjoyed the Portugal thing. After that, I went over to Seville, Spain, which was the hottest place I've ever been in my life. And I am from Houston. It was like, I got there. It was so hot when I got there that, um, I immediately started looking back, looking into like going back to something near some water. Cause it was like 98 and it was staying 98 till like 10 o'clock at night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, people talk about that. People talk about that. It's all about humidity. Nah, man. Humidity might have been welcome. Like, people talk about that dry heat. You know what is a dry You know what else is a dry heat? A oven. A oven is a, is a, is a, is a dry heat. Like, that, that is a bit of a, what they call a misnomer. Um, but yeah, so I did that for a couple of days. That was cool. Then I came back over and, uh, I checked out what they, what was it? Lisbon, uh, the capital city. In Portugal, and I found that to be very dope. But I will tell you this right now, in case you're getting the bright idea to go visit uh, Lisbon, Portugal, you might want to get yourself in the proper cardiovascular condition in order to like make that happen. Because uh, like where my hotel was was on some flat land, and there appears to be some other flat land. But on the other side of, on both sides of the joint is like for real hills like i mean like we're not like and when i'm talking about hills like hills just doesn't feel like the proper term because like when you think about hills you kind of think about like you know there's a hill here a hill there it kind of rolls you know like it's very like somebody's in the chat room and i now saying it's very hilly no it is not very hilly there's two hellified hills right it's the hill on that side it's the hill on the other side and both of them hills go on for 
forever. Like forever and ever and ever. And you will start off with this idea that I am just going to go all the way up because I want to get like the best view of the city or whatever it is. And it's like, once you get started, you're like, why stop? You know what I mean? Because you I mean, how much farther could you possibly have to go? Um, the Google Maps is not really helping you on that because Google Maps is just giving you distance. Like it's giving you distance and it's giving you time, but it ain't really giving you like, yo, how them thighs, dog. It isn't giving you that. And so you're just going and you're going and you're going and then you get all the way up there and like the last thing you want to do is come down. And you just sit there. So like, um, I went to this castle, right? Like they got this, this, they got this castle that's all the way up. And I checked it before I went and they told me it was a, the app said it was a 20 minute walk. And it was like a half mile. And I'm like, wow, that sounds like quite the arduous half mile. But, you know, we can make this happen. And, bruh, like, I guess I got, like, I got to, like, to the castle. And I was actually pretty cool, like, once I got to the castle. Like, I knew that I had put in some work to get to the castle. But when I got to the castle, like, you know, I was alright, you know, like it wasn't no problem. But what I didn't really realize about the castle is that like you get up to the castle and that's really only like the lobby of the castle that you have gotten to. That there's actually a lot more um up and down and stuff for you to do in the castle. And you've already gotten to a point where you might as well get your you know, get yourself all the way to the top. And so then you get all the way to the top of the castle and it's really dope and it's really worth it to get all the way that high. But then you got to get out of the castle and see, let me tell you this thing about castles. All right. Now I don't know about you, but I really only have thought about castles like in the context of architecture, you know, like I've only really thought about castles. Like I know what a castle looked like from the outside. Okay, but, you know, a castle is like a fortified dwelling. Like the plan is to like hold up and protect yourself from invaders and stuff like that. Like that's what the castle is there for. So when you get to somewhere in the castle, it's not really designed for it to be easy for you to like get back or to figure out where it is that you're going. Like the castle is designed to be confusing. And so I've gotten all the way up to, the, you know, where I am in this castle, man. It's starting to burn. But I also want to stop at the gift shop. And I'd seen the gift shop, right? I'd seen the gift shop. And I thought I remembered how to get back to the gift shop. So I'm trying to remember how to get back to the gift shop. And I'm already like, now we're going up like a lot more flights, like while we're within this castle to get all the way to the top. And I got like some real dope pictures of, you know, the city and stuff like that. So I had this one time, man, I started going down these steps. And I'm thinking that these steps are going to get me out because I'm like, why would there be steps that just lead to nowhere? Right. Like if I'm trying to get down to start getting out of here. So down is going to put me on the path to get out. And so I go down, man. And I'm guessing, man, it had to be like the equivalent of like six flights of stairs. And I go down and I got people, you know, as I'm going down, they walking up steps past me. But I get down there. 
And not only is it like nothing, like a totally uneventful like portion of it, there was nothing picturesque or anything like that. It also didn't lead to anything. Like you couldn't go farther down from there, which meant that the only way to go down from there was to do what? Just seeing if you're paying attention. What would I have to do in order to go down? That's right. Walk back up those six flights of stairs. And by then, it was burning. Like, like by, by then, it was a situation. Like, like I think it was, it was, it was like, now I'm not, I mean, no, it was real at that point. I was just kind of done. And so it's like seven o'clock. I'm up at the top of the castle. And I'm like, well, yo, I bet sunset from up here is super dope. But sunset isn't until nine. I'm kind of hungry. Can I post up here until nine o'clock? And my thighs were saying to me, you can post up here for as long as you want for the rest of your life. But I wound up posting for like an hour 15 because I was like, okay, it's a lot of hill. I can go down and still get like good sunset shots and stuff like that. Like I'm still pretty high up. So I went down, man. I got back down the street level. I decided to go somewhere and get some food. So I went and got some food. But where I went and got some food was on the hills on the other side. And so I had food. And after that, I'm like, yo, I bet I can get some really dope pictures if I go up the hill this way. Because that castle is like, is like billed as overlooking the whole city, you know? And so I'm like, okay, so the hill on this side can't be even so high. I don't have to go all the way to the top. I can just go up a few and I'll still be able to get some good pictures. But see, the thing is, as you keep going up, there are new buildings and stuff as you go up to hills. And those buildings have tall walls that make it impossible to get the good pictures, which then trap you into continuing to go up higher and higher. And then I just reached a point where I had to say no mas, man. I couldn't do it, man. I had had enough, man. I had to walk back down, man. It was so much, man. But it was also very dope. I'm just telling you, like, if you're going to go to Lisbon, Portugal, that you might want to get yourself into a pretty decent uh, cardiovascular situation. Because if you can get yourself into a good cardiovascular situation, I think that you can have yourself a, a grand old time um, while you are there. It was dope. And you know, like I say, for me, like that's a place I never considered going. Like I've never, I'm not a seasoned international traveler. I'm not. I was broke for a long time. And then, you know, I don't, I've traveled by myself recently, but that's never like really been my bag. But like when I went to Paris, I went by myself. Um, I took this trip by myself and I don't know if confidence is the right word necessarily, but I think like going to Paris, I granted Paris is pretty English friendly and Portugal is also very English friendly, which eases you into it just a little bit. But I got like a certain confidence about that stuff that I'd say I didn't have um, prior. And so I just said, yeah, it's when like, I right, cool. I go check out, see what Portugal Holland bot. Man, it was cool. I dug it. I enjoyed it. I'd uh, recommend you check it out if you uh, get the opportunity. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Wow, this dude really put in a lot of questions. Good gracious. 
say, homie, I kind of almost don't feel right about answering this because, like, I can't just be, you know, like, you should. Actually, I feel like I need to. No, never mind. I only want to put that, say that out loud. Uh, do you disconnect completely while on holiday, or are you still switched on making notes for the podcast at high noon? Now, I don't really take notes in general, but not. Nah, um, this trip was the most disconnected that I have been from the machine ever. In fact, like. As of the time of this recording, I don't even think I have reconnected really. You know, like I find that I kind of use, I mean, like I got to go to work. So, yeah, like I'm doing that stuff now, but I'm not really contributing at this moment. And let me tell you, I have an interesting observation for you about that. It doesn't feel so bad. Like it doesn't like i fully understand that there are some of you who follow me on these social media platforms and enjoy the contributions that i make and i'm glad that you do but you know no disrespect but at this point that don't really do no whole lot for me you know um and so i'm just kind of like yo let me give it a look see what it look like you know not so bad not so bad so like i'm still like like i'm going now like i was gone i didn't check much at all but now that I'm back, I'm still checking and like keeping up with stuff so you get ready for the show and things like that. But this is just kind of interesting. Like, you know, I guess I mean at some point I'll wind up back around there, I assume. But right now, like, I'm not really missing it um in that way, which is kind of an interesting observation for me personally um to make. But I tell you this, I don't remember what date it was exactly. But something had happened. And like, you could look at the timeline. I didn't send anything for a week. Like, I wasn't out there. I saw a bot or a troll bot. I, I really don't know the delineation between the two. I, I mean, between all these things, I have a tendency to use bot as a general term. So forgive me. But I saw a bot jump up in my mentions and then i saw another bot start arguing with that bot and so the first bot was like also far right wing stuff and the other bot was like obviously a fake black account and so i'm i watched one respond to the other where my assumption is like that plan or what you're hoping for under that circumstance is that I then send it out. And then it turns into this like polarizing discussion, except I mean, come on, (laughs) like I've gotten a lot better at this. Sometimes I just can't help myself, but I've gotten a lot better about recognizing like what is and isn't going on. And what is it isn't worth the fight, you know, et cetera, and all that. Like I see it. But I saw that and I was just like, What are we doing? What are we doing? Like I ain't even sending nothing that I got people calling me names and stuff in there. <laughs> like for what? You know what I mean? For what? So some of this stuff, yo, y'all come holler at me. I got a TV show. We be talking about this stuff, all, you know, a lot of stuff all the time over there. You come holler at it. I got a podcast here. I be talking about stuff. You come holler at it. 
I don't really so much miss it. Um, in the finger on the pulse, you know, knowing what's going on at every moment, like staying on top of it in that way. Nah, nah, nah. That breathing room ain't been so bad. All right, appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. You think there's any chance the plain bait ordeal gets people to think twice about trying to get quick social media fame or has that ship long sailed? I think there's like a duality of what's going on in this situation, though. And I didn't know about this until uh, Gabe, producer on uh, The Right Time, uh, sent me the story as we were getting ready to do, you know, to do the show. Um, because I hadn't seen it up till then, because, again, I'd been kind of I'd been detached. And so this is the one where these two people are hitting it off on the plane and somebody is live tweeting about the two people hitting it off on the plane. And then it becomes a huge viral thing. And now you got the news calling and everything else. And I had a situation. I still think this dude kind of responded like a sucker in a lot of ways to it. But I do think that, you know, there's something there was something. All right. Anyway, I'll tell the story. You'll understand what I mean. So this is like maybe 2012. Like, I'm still living in Durham. And so, like, my profile is way lower. And so some friends of mine, all right, I'm not comfortable with, like, the idea or the notion that I am quote-unquote famous because I feel like I, like, often have the opportunity to hang out with actual famous people. And it is completely different than anything related to me. But I am, I mean, okay, right? But, like, six years ago, I wasn't famous. All right, I'm just a dude. So, I took a picture of somebody wearing some ridiculous get-up at my favorite local breakfast spot. I put it on the gram. The dude was sitting in the restaurant. And he saw it. Because he was, like, a really big fan. And there I am clowning his uh, attire, which was ridiculous. To be clear, it was ridiculous. So he responded with some hurt feelings about it being ridiculous. You know, me saying his clothes look ridiculous. And I made a point that I do think had some merit, which was, oh, it's all fun and games until it happened to you, right? You know, like when I got like when I was doing this and laughing at other people, it wasn't no problem. But now it's the issue and I'm doing it to you, you know. And so I think that to a degree that may have been like a defense mechanism for me to avoid like any culpability that I may have had, whatever. But I do think the fact I do think that point has a, a, has merit anyway. Um, do wind up getting real mad about it, too. Right. I think I wound up having to block them. Like it, it really, it really soured our relationship. Like I hope at this point he is perhaps able to watch High Noon and enjoy it, but it, it didn't seem. But I talked to somebody about it, and they were like, "Yo, you don't think it's strange for that person to like look up and see that it's them that you're talking about?" And that's real. And so I've been like. There was a way that I that, like things like that. I was less likely to do at that point. Um, and so I'll tell a good story about something that's going on at the airport or something like that. Like I will do that, but I am like kind of cognizant or with an understanding of the fact that 
Like there is a person that's on the other side of this. You don't know who that person is, but there is a person that is on the other side of it. And there's all the stuff that, you know, that then, of course, um, goes along with it. But I think to be fair, I don't think that the woman who originally tweeted about that, I don't think that she did that knowing that it would blow up the way that it would. Like, I think that most people, by and large, are putting stuff out there on social media. And there's a very small number of people that actually see it. Even if it's somebody with a level of visibility and like a fairly high follower count, they're still kind of operating on the thought that ain't that many people that are really seeing what you're talking about. And so it kind of can give this feeling of intimacy that'll allow you to tell a story like that because you don't think anybody's really checking it. And then next thing you know, all it takes is like the wrong account. Like, let me be the person that sees something like that and then puts it out. It could be everywhere after that. Everywhere. Just because it arranged like the number of people and like the range of who the people are who follow me. Like it can be a thing just that fast. Somebody overwhelmingly that's like starting off and, send, and sending like a story on Twitter in that way isn't thinking about the possibility that I'll retweet it. You know, you see what I mean? And so I don't think it's all about people trying to capitalize upon fame. I think it is just in part like this is the new normal. Like this is what the game is. And you do kind of have to think about the fact no matter who you are, anybody can be this close to getting retweeted 30,000 times. And it's really kind of random when that can happen. But the big thing about it is overwhelmingly, and this is not the case for everybody, but overwhelmingly, you're not going to get a damn thing out of getting retweeted 30,000 times with stress and a battery shortage on your phone. Like, what do you, you know what I mean? Like, what are you going to get from it? You're not. So, like, I don't think that people want, like, being the person that sends the thing that goes viral is not going to make you famous. It might make the other people famous. And then for the other people, it's like, yo, I don't really know if this is something that I actually want. Because I'm telling you, man, I don't think there's anything more underrated than anonymity right anonymous people want somebody to know who they are man but there is a such thing as too many appreciate the question let me see what we got here ha yeah this isn't sports this is papa john's any thoughts on papa john said n-word during a call to quote show how not to handle future public relations missteps let me tell you, I really, I, so I'm, I don't know if torn is the right word, but um, I don't, it's not like the man was on the call and was referring to people as in words, right? Like that's not the same thing. I'm not an absolutist about the use of the N word in that way. You know, like like that, like that's not me. Like if it's the uh, like, like you're not about to call me that. 
right? You're not about to call somebody that. No. But there is, I mean, I don't know. I'm not bugging on, like, such a usage. I do think it is hilarious to try to compare yourself to Colonel Sanders, who's been dead for 38 years, to explain why this isn't a big deal to you. Right? Like, yo, he did that. I'll be fine. So what do people think I'm racist? Right? Like, what? What are you? Papa, what are you doing? This is my question about it. How long do we have before they have to start calling that place Papa's? Right? Look, Burlington ain't no coat factory. It's KFC, not Kentucky Fried Chicken. Right? Companies rebrand in this way all the time. The more people find out about Papa John, they going to have to go to Papa. Like, it's just going to have to be Papa's. Because associating that with Papa John, like, they're going to they gonna have to, like, they're basically going to have to do, like, some soap opera shit. Where they're just going to have to act like this Papa John thing never happened and put a whole new Papa on the box. A whole new one. Or if you're going to stay Papa John's, you're just going to come and, yeah, you just got to come over with a new Papa John. Like, I mean, let's be honest about this. John is a pretty common first name. You can go find another Papa John and it not be false advertising. That's right. I like that suggestion from the chat room. We get a new Papa John and the new Papa John is John with a spoon. Yo, pizza going to coordinate. I'm with that. But that's what it's going to have to be. That's what it's going to have to be. It's going to have to be a new pop. Because, man, this dude is not good for business. (laughs) Yeah, they got him out. Like, he ain't running things no more. They moved to the side, but he did that on the call. And those people were like, yo, no, 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 no. We can't can't be rocking with this dude. (laughs) Like, think about, like, real talk. Just as a consideration, those of you who, like, work in the corporate space. Because I don't really know why I'm tired. Um, think of all the racist things that you've heard said in corporate settings, like in meetings and stuff like that. How many of them actually stop business from going down? Because these people got off the phone with Papa John and were like, nah. Nah, nah, we can't. <laughs> we can't rock with you, homie. <laughs> that's like, I think my brother said this, this, this analogy was, that's like being the person that gets caught for speeding on 285. Like, how'd you get me? Like, either you were really wild or it just wasn't your lucky day. Because people are willing to let a lot slide. Appreciate the question. See what else you got here. Book, movie, or music for flight entertainment on the trip. Any that you recommend. I actually had like a kind of interesting experience um, with in-flight entertainment because I took a seven-hour flight over there and a nine-hour flight back because I had to go to Miami and, you know, that headwind stuff. 
But anyway, I didn't have internet on either flight. Either flight. 2018. And so it was just like, all right, you know, let me see what these movies is hitting on, right? And so, you know, I don't watch a lot of movies. So I saw Argo. You ever seen Argo? I saw Argo. I'd never seen Argo. I thought Argo was a very, very good movie. I did. I think they kind of had some, you know, there's a little corn added to it in some ways. But Argo, I would wonder, because Argo came out like 10 years ago, right? Um, I would, I would make the argument that if you saw Argo a while ago, how you would watch Argo now in light of current events. Like, it gives it a little bit of a different tenor. Um, like, I was, like, really into it and, like, getting, like, emotional and stuff at some points watching it. And I'm not really, like, an emotional sort of guy. Like, it was, I found Argo to be very stressful. Like, they try to get to the airport. I was like, yo, I'm going, like, I was, like, going through it with them. I don't like feeling like that. But, like, there I was with it as they were doing that. And, by the way, it had me thinking, just as a general observation um, about armed revolutions and, like, government overthrows via populist revolutions. Um, invariably, those sorts of things are going to result in people having very important jobs that they are not necessarily qualified for. Like these dudes that were working at the airport, like, checking passports and stuff. You know, <laughs> like... Like, I was looking at them cats, and I'm like, man, you know, there used to be people who did this for years and had training in doing this stuff. Now, they got some dudes in some fatigues that's checking your passport and trying to see if your reasons for coming into the country are legit. Like, I just thought about that. Like, when this happens, there's a lot of jobs that have to be filled. And something tells me that the hiring manager did not survive the revolution. Just a guess. Just a guess. Like, after you take over the government, just think about this, right? After you take over the government, who gets to decide whose job it is to work in customs? Right? Like, all these different things that have to be done. Who's in charge of making sure that they get done? I never really considered that. <laughs> I, I never really thought of that. But there was that. Um, I also, on one of them flights, watched uh, that Joe Paterno movie that HBO did, which I actually, like, I don't know if it was the greatest movie in the world, but that being something that I, you know, I was doing a lot of TV during that time, it's interesting to look back on. Like under that lens, it is very, very, very interesting to like watch that and go back through it um, in that way. And I watched The Fugitive for like the first time in like 15 years. And let me tell you something about The Fugitive. Let me talk about this for a second. There, you know, the Harrison Ford uh, Fugitive. Now, you know that scene in The Fugitive after he like gets into that hospital bathroom. 
and he cuts his beard and he shaves and like he gets his situation a little bit different and he's walking out and this cop looks at him and it was like, Hey doc, um, we're looking for a guy, you know, six one, one eighty, brown hair, you know, da da da. Um, got a beard, you know, have you seen him? And he goes, Every time I look in the mirror, pal, well, except for the beard. And then the cop looked at him and was like, Huh. And then kept it moving. Man, the only reason that this movie is two hours long is white privilege. That is the only reason. Because let me tell you something. Let them say that there is a black murderer on the loose who broke free, as, a, as broke off the prison bus. You're not going to be that black dude. You got to do you got to do a hell of a lot more to shave your beard. And it took us down looking not like the dude a whole bunch. This dude is the actual dude and got cops looking him in the face and missing it. And missing it. It's the only happen with a white man. That's the only way. The only way. They would have had 15 black dudes in custody. By the time that it happened, we going to make sure we got the right one. Please believe that. Because you notice they caught that black dude. Like they went and got him. Richard, Richard Kimball is a fugitive on the loose. And that dude busts into a banquet, a pharmaceutical sales banquet. And just strolled up in it. And people looking at him like they saw a ghost. Not one person was like, yo, go call the cops. Keeping in mind that as these things are happening, these people believe he savagely murdered his wife. And then it's like, oh, my God, Richard Kimball, what are you doing here? I would also like to note, by the way, I can't imagine how frustrating it must have been to be Richard Kimball. And you're like, yo, man, a bus up in the spot. This dude had killed my wife. I got into a fight with him. And they're like, all right, so can you tell us anything about the man? He's like, he had a prosthetic arm. And they looking back at you and they saying, so let me get this straight. You was in a fight with a dude with one arm. And you're like, yes. That is exactly what happened. And they looking at you like the best that you could come up with is a dude with one arm. And you looking at them and you're like, yo, I just gave you the case. Right? Like how many one-arm dudes are there in Chicago? Like I'm not saying it's only but like one or two, but I'm saying that once you narrow it down to the one-arm dudes in Chicago, it shouldn't be that hard to get to the connections of who bust up in here and killed my wife. Right. I'm I gave you the whole case and you looking at me like word a one armed man. Huh. Keep in mind, by the way, that Richard Kimball busts off that bus, like gets off that bus, that prison bus. And while he is trying to save himself. And, you know, it doesn't sound like it's a whole lot of time that's passing that he's on the loose. Right. In that time period while looking over his shoulder and only with a couple people to help him out, that dude managed 
to solve the case. He solved the case. And you know why, how he solved the case? Because he went down to the place at the hospital where people got arms. He went and looked up basically who the one-armed people were. He got to the bottom of it in like an afternoon. An afternoon. And they sent that dude to prison. Think about that. They sent the dude to prison. He solved the case in 45 minutes. Now, that perhaps would be a refutation of the idea that white privilege fueled this movie. However, again, once he was believed to be a savage murderer, he was walking the streets and busting into banquets. It was a very good movie, though. There was also a point where Tommy Lee Jones absolutely should have smoked that dude. And that is like that was another white privilege moment when they faced it off in that tunnel and Tommy Lee Jones did not smoke him. Like, yo, man, you ain't about to be a murderous fugitive and get the benefit of the doubt. What are you talking about? But yeah. Even that Penn State movie to a degree, like there was a part where they were talking about like when Jerry Sandusky was getting caught up, you know, with this stuff. And they'd be looking at Santa, you know, they're like, yo, well, we've got to go talk to Jerry. We got to give Jerry, you know, we owe it to Jerry to, you know, tell him face to face. Hey, to owe it to the pedophile, what? Like, it was such extreme benefit of the doubt. It was the benefit of the doubt on showering with the boys. Whoa, what? You, you, really? Oh, Sorry. I misunderstood how this benefit and doubt thing went. But that's the way it was presented in that movie. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on the Evening Jones. Try to do this thing here every week or two or so. My man Lance Gilliam handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you. Uh, remember, if you cannot watch the Evening Jones live, subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to the iTunes store, subscribe to Stitch Radio. Check us out on SoundCloud. Also at the Google Play Store. Um, yeah, man. I'll talk to you guys soon. Take it easy.